Just have a special announcement for my listeners. First of all, I want to say thank you so much for uh, listening. Started off as an experiment in August, but I've had about 2,000 listens of my podcast, and I'm so grateful. I have a special request uh, for my year-end episode 2020, which has been an incredibly interesting year. I plan to do an episode of listener feedback. So what I'd love for you to do is leave me a message, and the link is in the show note, about what you took away. What was one thing after listening to several episodes was the most impactful to you to help that helped you in some way, or was an insight you hadn't thought about before? If you can do that, then I will be sharing some of those insights. You can see that link in show notes. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Navigating Disruption Podcast. I'm your host, Shaquille Barmel. I'm the CEO of Ocean Blue Strategic and partner with the Summit Group. I'm a coach, consultant, and speaker, and I help leaders, entrepreneurs, and sales professionals make an impact through improved performance. In this podcast, I share insights and interviews with interesting leaders to define practical lessons that you can use to make an impact in the face of uncertainty. In 1980, a child was born to a healthcare worker and a teacher in war-torn Kabul, Afghanistan. That child grew up hearing stories about the golden era, what life was like before he was born. Instead of feeling resentful for not seeing those wonderful times, he decided to choose hope and equipped himself with the skills to help the people of his country get access to basic healthcare they needed. And so began his life of service. I met Fawad seven years ago when he came to Canada under some very difficult and unusual circumstances that might have broken many. Instead, he once again chose hope and continued his journey to develop his leadership capability. Today, Fawad is responsible for Canadian global health programs that impact more than 3 million people in some of the most difficult parts of the world, including his home country of Afghanistan. Listen as we talk about his practice of servant leadership. Hi, Fawad. How are you? Hi, Shaquille. I'm good. Good. How are you? Really well. Really well today. Thanks for making the time uh, for this call. I've been really been looking, looking forward to this conversation. You know, Fawad, I don't know if I've ever, ever uh, told you this, but, you know, the first time I became aware of you as a person, I was sitting in my office and the head of our organization uh, where I worked before and where you work now, came uh, to me and basically closed the door and said, we'll be having an uh, employee, a new employee coming to us from Afghanistan. Um, we need to find a way to structure a position in our budget for him at about this level. And I was a little taken aback because we had just got our budgets approved and everything was done. I was saying, how am I gonna find money for this additional person? And you were, you were faceless to me. I didn't know who you were. You were just a, I had to find a place in the budget. And so we made it all work and you came over and Fawad, the first day, my first understanding of you on that day you arrived from Afghanistan was when our, um, one of our staff members came to, to me and said, have you met Fawad? I said, no, oh, this is his first day because he's incredible. Like he is He's like amazing. And I didn't know exactly what she meant. And then a few days later, it took us a few days for us to actually connect. You came to see me in my office 
and we had an amazing conversation. You were so positive and so um, classy. And I understand the circumstances that you left Afghanistan were not ideal, but here you were standing in front of me and I thought immediately, what an asset to our organization, how lucky we are to have him. And so I'm telling you now that I went from a position of how am I gonna find room in the budget for this person who I don't know, to oh my goodness, this person is priceless. And so thank you for that. I don't think I ever told you that story. I uh, know. That was my recollection of my first time uh, uh, meeting you. Well, thank you, Shaquille, for, uh, for this uh, sentiment and for taking me back to those, uh, those times. Uh, it feels like a long time ago, seven years ago now. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, of course, a lot of emotions are connected with those, uh, with those times. Of course, yeah. I, was, I was, as we say, fresh off the boat uh, from, yeah. from Afghanistan, or fresh off the plane yeah. from Afghanistan. Um, and I, uh, due to circumstances there, I had to leave everything behind and just come to a different country, different context, different team. But of course, the support and the, the love and, and uh, encouragement of, of you and the teams around me here, they gave um, Canada and other colleagues um, and, and brought, broadly in Canada that um, helped me uh, overcome those, those days. Um, right. Thanks. It, was, it was a pleasure. It has always been a pleasure knowing you and working with you and, uh, and getting to learn from you. Yeah, well, thank you. Well, let's fill our uh, listeners in a little bit because some of what we're talking about, they have no idea about. So let's go way back <clears throat> first, not way back, but let's go back to talk about what was your profession in Afghanistan? What were you doing for a living? Well, I mean, it is way back. Uh, so uh, I, I, I'm a, by, by training, I'm actually a physician. I'm a pediatrician. Um, most of my experience in public health and global health. Um, of course, becoming a doctor was more than just a profession for me. It was a love. It was a passion. It was a sacred uh, thing for me to, to become a doctor. As I grew up as a child, that's what I always wanted to, to be. Um, but of course, right after graduation from this medical school, and so being in Afghanistan, it is not easy to find a job that pays you well while you have children and family to, to support. So that actually, by, not by choice, by necessity, uh, I, w I moved to public health and that's where I then stayed. Um, uh, I, I loved the, the field of public health. Of course, in the first few years of like, having my private practice uh, in, in the medicine and doing the public health work, I had to um, balance both and struggle to choose between, and then finally I made my decision that my future is more in public health and global health mm -hmm. than, than medicine. Mm -hmm. um, of course, this, this was a big shift. As I said earlier, um, being a doctor was my, my passion, my love. So leaving that behind was, was not an easy, easy decision, but what helped me come to that decision was uh, more based on the facts uh, that I have put in front of me, that why I wanted to become a doctor. Why did I love to become mm -hmm. a doctor? There were, uh, of course, main reasons behind it. The key one was uh, that I was seeing the, med the, the profession of doctor, physician, as a way to serve the Afghan people. Growing up as a, in a middle-class family, uh, if, if you're interested, I can talk about that as well. So all of the issues that, that relates to being in a war-torn country, I, I um, developed and built the sense of serving people and I saw that being a doctor would be one way to, to do that. 
-hmm. But when I moved to public health, I realized that I could actually do that faster with more and bigger impact. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, I mean, the other side of this obviously is that um, you also want to have a living. So mm -hmm. I could also have that through this, this uh, mm -hmm. profession, which is still is health, but it sees health uh, of not individuals, but broader communities and, and broader population. So just uh, you um, develop this uh, desire to go into medicine and practice medicine because you really wanted to help people. You were growing up in a war-torn country. Uh, you were a child through difficult circumstances. You saw what was happening and you chose this path to be, to be helpful to people. And then you discovered this new path, this new opportunity to take your, your education and health and apply it to public health. You were struggling with that decision because you really love medicine. Yeah. But what, what was the tipping point for you was when you realized that you could take your knowledge and expertise and actually make a greater impact than, than with the public health approach than you could with practicing medicine and serving patients. Correct, yeah. So it's like, you know, I, 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 I talk a lot, and Fawad, you and I have talked about this a lot, about the, but the pebble in the, the water that creates the ripple. And so as a physician, you were um, a pebble making, you know, some ripples. Yes. But in public health, you, you basically were able to create more ripples in a, in a greater impact. Absolutely. Fascinating. I, lo I love that, that, uh, that, that journey. Yeah, I mean, the other interesting thing in, in that journey is, <clears throat> um, and it happens to everyone's life, and in my life it happened a number of times, that there are circumstances that at that moment it seems to you as a, as a challenge or as a, as a problem, but then later on um, you realize that that could be an opportunity as well. In this case, as I said, my move from health or from being a doctor to being a public health professional uh, was not uh, by choice. So I had to find a job that pays me well so mm -hmm. I can maintain my family. Right. But um, so it seemed as a challenge at that time. Uh, but now that I look back, I see that um, I used that, that challenge and turned it into an opportunity after I moved to public health. And, uh, and, and as, I, as, we, as we just discussed that, um, in, in the opportunity was to have bigger impact and right. to have bigger satisfaction and fulfillment personally from the public health uh, work. Right, amazing, incredible. Um, Fawad, can you tell me a little bit about um, some of your childhood influences? I mean, you, you touched on it earlier, but uh, when you were a child, um, Afghanistan was in a, a very difficult situation, right? Yes. But rather than talk about that first, your parents, and your probably your grandparents lived in Afghanistan during very different circumstances. Can you tell me something about the stories that you used to hear about what life was like in Afghanistan, kind of before the difficult period? Well, my, yes, absolutely. My parents call uh, call that era the golden era, mm -hmm. um, the golden era, because there was a period of kind of towards end of the the kingdom and the the beginning of the public republican system in the country so that period about 10 years or so was um, a, an absolutely peaceful period in the country there were some new reforms in the kingdom that was that was introduced um so then afghanistan started having a parliament and so 
and Afghanistan was um, a touristic destination for uh, for the regional countries, even from from North America, from Europe. People were uh, were coming to Afghanistan as, as tourists. Um, the uh, of course, the economy was not thriving, but um, education-wise, Afghanistan was advancing way fast. So um, my parents tell they have some some interesting stories that there were students from other countries, even from Japan. From uh, my dad actually had a friend um, who was uh, who was Japanese and came to Afghanistan to study. So yeah. they they used to come to Afghanistan to study uh, language and other 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 things. So that's th those are the days that my parents. Uh, had. Um, unfortunately, um, my, my grandparents passed away when I was quite young, so I didn't uh, spend much time with them. Yeah. Um, but with, with my parents, that was that is the, the, the memories that they have. Of course, my situation is completely different. I was born right at um, like a year after the, the conflict started uh, and the, the, just a year before the Russian, uh, uh, Russian invasion. Yeah. So you, so your parents told you stories of what life was like uh, and you grew up in a very different circumstance. Can you tell me how you like process that as a child? Like, how did you take their stories and think about that world versus the world you were living in now? How did you feel about that? Well, of course, um, um, they were, they, they've started telling us these, these stories when we were in the middle of, of conflict uh, yeah. in, in the country. Um, and and my, my father was, was actually active um, uh, in, in politics, in national politics in the country, always remained up on opposition. Yeah. Um, of course, during the Soviet-backed government, uh, you, know, you could only be either with them or against them uh, politically. So, and that also meant imprisonment, assassination, oh, living okay. in hiding and, and being scared all the time. Okay. So actually grew up, grew up in the middle of all of this yeah. while, while also hearing from them that we did have some really great times in golden times. So of course there are like all kinds of feelings as a child that you have yeah. that uh, why it's not, uh, why I'm, I'm not experiencing those, those, yeah. those times. Yeah. Yeah. How is going to be my future? So that, that those questions. Am I going to have uh, experienced those kind of days again? So uh, this comes, of course, with the feeling of curiosity, yeah. uh, I should say. Curiosity, sometimes um, disappointment. Uh, but one thing that, that really, uh, I mean, when I compare, uh, of course, as I became a teenager now, when I compare, one thing that really kept us running was hope. Mm. The, the country as a whole, my family and myself, we always had this hope that things will improve mm -hmm. because we did have a, 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 a better day, better days. And we, this, this will be temporary, what is, what is happening. So there will be better days and right. I will have a better future, better education, better right. uh, life. Tawad, you know, that is, um, I read a lot about uh, resilience and I'm, I'm sure you do too. And, you know, the best simple definition of resilience that I've come across is, the ability to be looking at the brutal facts in front of you, the difficult reality that's there right in front of you, but at the same time having the hope that things will get better. Um, if you are just hopeful without facing the difficult facts, you end up getting disconnected from reality and eventually you get very discouraged because 
nothing happens. But if you can put the difficult stuff first and then have hope, then you're able to actually drive change and move on and carry on and be resilient. And it seems to me as you talk about this, that's what you did. You understood that things were difficult, but you had hope what was to come. And you took that hope and channeled it to what can I do to create that new future Absolutely. by yeah. choosing healthcare. Yeah. Well, in addition to that, I agree with you, uh, Shaquille. Um, I often think about this, um, and particularly when I moved to Canada, and uh, of course my family um, couldn't come with me. So there was a, about a three and a half years period that I, w I, I lived here in Canada alone, and my family was in Afghanistan. That was actually the time that I had really, um, I had the time to reflect about mm -hmm. these things. Mm -hmm. So one thing that all, that comes comes to me all the time is that all of these things that happened in my childhood and teenage and adolescence period, which includes the, all the things that I mentioned earlier and the Taliban and the civil war and all of that, mm -hmm. shaped me as who I am right now, as a person, as a prof professional and as a leader. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them, of course, informed my political views uh, about the, the world and what things that are happening in the world. Some others actually built um, uh, or shaped my ability to assess the, what is happening in my environment, reflect on them and adapt what mm -hmm. we call resilience, right? So, um, and, 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 and part of it also built a sense of humanitarian mm -hmm. and uh, uh, a spirit of service to others mm -hmm. in me. Mm -hmm. Why? Because I experienced not to have things. I experienced not to have access to better health services, to better education services. My, interestingly, my, um, I, I was one of the perhaps maybe better off um, children in, in my time because my mom was a teacher, my dad was a lab technician. So I had a connection with the health sector, a connection with the education sector, and both of them at home. Uh, but still, um, that lack of quality services, lack of access to these services, sometimes even uh, in the last years of the Soviet-backed system, there was also lack of food uh, even lack of bread, which is the basic necessity uh, or, or lack of electricity. So those things also built a sense of humanitarian in me and a sense of how can I do, how can I serve people so as much as I can, of course, we, we can't solve all the problems in the world. Uh, so others don't experience those things yeah. or experience it in, with less intensity. That's another reason that I actually moved to this uh, or stayed in the in the public health sector. Oh, very good. So, you know, you said an interesting thing and, and you, you did it in passing, but I want to uh, go and spend a little bit of time there. Um, we won't go into detail about the circumstances by which you left, but let's just say there were very difficult circumstances by which you came to this country. Yeah. Um, in that process, you had to leave your family behind for a period of time until you got settled here and everything was clear for them to come. And so that you're saying during that time you had, was it a couple of years? Three and a half years. Yeah, three and a half years on your own with your family there um, to reflect. And this is when you came to these realizations about the lessons you learned from your life experience so far and it solidified in you what your takeaways were and allowed you to be even more grateful with what you were doing and what you're choosing. Did you do anything special to reflect? Was there any kind of process you used to reflect? Or was it just literally just the thoughts that rolled around in your head during when you were all by yourself? Uh, well, I mean, there's a, there's a habit I have. It is, it is um, 
not something that I gained only when I moved to Canada, but it's, it's a, at the end of each day, I take some, some time to reflect, um, whether that was uh, when I was a student at, at medical school or before that, or, or after I continued working or started working. Um, so at the end of my basically business day, yeah. I think about the day because, yeah. you know, days are full of, of course, lots of successes, but also sometimes not so much successes. So there is always a hiccup or a failure or a disappointment at the end of the day. So I find that reflection therapeutic, yeah. helpful for me to think about uh, things that went well and how and how and why, um, and things that didn't go well very much and how and why, because that's where, where the learning uh, happens. And I can also close it for the day so I can go to bed with peace of mind. Yeah. So that continued, of course, uh, has always been with me. Um, and when I came to Canada, due to circumstances that led me come to Canada, um, I, I had to do more of that, um, not only for the day, but for the months uh, before I moved to Canada and the years before to com uh, coming to Canada. Because that, those were actually the years that I, I, I consider as, as the best years of, of my mm -hmm. career, the best years of, of my life, where I had the ability, the energy, the time, and the power and resources to do good. Mm. Um, so I, I reflected on, on all of those. Um, so uh, a combination of like daily habit plus the circumstances that made me think about why things happened in the way they happened. Could th those be different? And what are my lessons learned from those? So um, others could learn from it or I could do it better next time. Mm -hmm. So what it seems like um, what I'm hearing is that it was very intentional and very deliberate, the activity to reflect on your day, what, you, what went well, what didn't go so well, what could you learn from it, how will that benefit others, what might you do different tomorrow or next week or next time. But it was deliberate, it was intentional. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. As I said, it, it, I find it therapeutic. Yeah, uh, it helps me um, to um, to close the daily chapter uh, in, in, with, with peace. So yeah. even if the day wasn't so successful, which could happen to everyone, and it's it is part of our, our life and profession, professional life and personal life. Yeah, I find it calming that I close yeah. the chapter. I say now I learn from today. Now it is time to relax and focus on, on other stuff. Very good. Um, Father, can you tell me a little bit about your leadership experience? Like what has been your um, kind of realm of leadership over your career in public health? Numbers of people, responsibilities up, up until now. Uh, sure, yeah. Um, well, I mean, as, as, as you know, uh, Shaquille, uh, leadership is now my other passion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is, uh, I see leadership in, in everything, uh, even in my personal life, in my interactions with my children, with my, with my, with my wife. By the way, your children are here with you now. You, they've been here yes, for a yeah. few years. You've yes. had a good life, a normal family life. Uh, exactly, yeah. So now life, life is back to, to normal. Yeah. Um, uh, in all senses, of course, personally, professionally, and now I'm a Canadian citizen as well. So like it's, it's, it's my second home now. Yeah. So I see leadership and everything. And, but of course, it was a journey of learning, journey of, of entry and learning into, into leadership. Um, 
if you ask me when I when I started thinking about leadership, of course, or learning about leadership, perhaps I should say from my childhood. My dad was a born leader. So as I said, he was a lab technician, but he was not made to be a lab technician. He was made to be a leader. Yeah. So in politics, of course, and uh, um, and I grew up learning from from him without knowing that that is called leadership. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it was in a few years into my professional work when I got an opportunity to um, enter a, a UN fellowship program run by the United Nations Institute for Training and Research. That was a specific program for Afghanistan that um, accepted mid-level career uh, managers. Um, so uh, I entered into that program. Uh, it was a nine-month program. That was when I started learning about the science of leader, uh, leadership. Mm. to understand about various uh, types of leadership and what does it mean to practice, practice it. And that was also an opportunity for, of course, it's a structured program, very nice um, with some uh, in-class, it's a blended approach. Uh, they apply a blended approach there. So there are some in-class learning and then some practical projects that you work on. That was an opportunity for me to reflect on my past and, and learn what were some of the uh, leadership role models that I could aspire for some some mistakes in leadership that others made and I witnessed that I should not repeat in the future. Mm. So that was like a quite a journey. And of course, after the after I finished uh, graduated as a fellow, they accepted me um, to be a coach uh, uh, in the program and then as a mentor. And I have been involved with this with this fellowship program since two thousand nine. Can I interrupt you there? How old were you during the time of this fellowship program? Probably twenty. Um, 28, um, 28 when I started, yeah, okay. um, 2029. Um, still in my 20s. Uh, so, um, and, and it was, of course, there was, there, was, there was so much energy and passion for, for learning and, and doing that. And also, that was professionally in my work was also a transition time for me moving from managing a small team to uh, being in charge of a larger program, managing hundreds of people through a smaller team. Yeah. So all of these things actually fit very well. So um, I was learning leadership in theory there and I had the ability and opportunity to practice it at, at work. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, that's how my journey started. And of course, over time, I had to do more studies um, thanks to, the, uh, to my organization, Agarkhan Foundation. Yeah. Um, they provided me many, many opportunities to travel overseas, get exposure to uh, different institutions in highly reputable organizations, study leadership in the health sector and all. And of course, over time, I also, of course, I mean, as, as you grew uh, in, in, the, in the field, I um, chose to practice, learn and practice. I'm still learning, mm -hmm. learning it the servant leadership uh, approach that I've been, I've been practicing since at least past 10 years or so. Wow. I remember at uh, Alcan Foundation Canada when I was working there, uh, we were having a learning day um, and you uh, taught a very short session on servant leadership. And, and uh, our HR manager came to and asked if you would do that. So when you, when you were doing that session, what were some of the key thoughts, the key principles that you were sharing with, uh, with the staff, your colleagues at Icon Foundation? Um, 
Well, I mean, I, I shared my, my own journey in the in learning of servant leadership, but also the what does it mean for me? So um, I shared the, the journey just now, but in terms of what does it mean to me, it is more than just an approach of leadership. It is more like a philosophy mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. And of course, it connects with my childhood. It connects with my um, sense of humanitarian, but also very much fits well with my professional work. Yeah. So what we do in the development sector is, in fact, we should feel in the service of people um, right. whom are called uh, beneficiary. I actually personally don't like that terminology because yeah. that's kind of like a top-down approach. I prefer to call them partner population. Mm-hmm. So uh, even in professionally, I consider myself as a servant to, to, to those people, to partner population, because mm-hmm. that is the purpose of all kind of international development work that we do. Yeah, yeah. So for me, the, that, the servant leadership approach is that I consider myself as a servant of my team, uh, or uh, in general, the, the people I interact with, because leadership is not only about your own team, but also it's about your peers and other, your superiors and other, other colleagues uh, and other people like, like the yeah. partner population. So that's what I shared with, with people and how I um, find it um, also fulfilling to practice it. Mm-hmm. But also what I shared with, with our teams was that there's also other side to practicing servant leadership that if you you have to be clearly communicating your intention of practicing servant leadership particularly with your team and those whom you interact closely so it's not misunderstood as your weakness yeah because um the the servant leadership also has a, a meaning of coaching and facilitation so you can your team could grow and become leader of their own yeah. So in those circumstances, if you're not clear, it is easy to, mis- to be misunderstood that you are not a decisive leader. Wow. So you can't support your team in difficult situations. And that's where you can keep the balance between the servant leadership and uh, situational leadership, if, if you right. will, where you can also then step up and take charge and, and be decisive when they need to be, for example, in emergency situations. In the, in the public health sector, we, f- we, feel we, we experience that more often, uh, that COVID-19 is an example. Yeah. Um, so as a servant leader, you still continue practicing your, your leadership style, but you have to step up, be decisive, be quick, because it is uh, not a regular time. It's, a, it's, a, it's an emergency situation. Right. That's what I shared with the team. And um, um, yeah. They react. So uh, I love what you just said there about the balance, right? Like strong leadership requires being empathetic, coaching, mentoring, facilitating other people to solve challenges and achieve their full potential. But it can't just be only that. You also have to be strong, decisive, courageous, move quickly at times. And you need to have both. Absolutely. we are in a very, I mean, you've grown up in a very challenging time in a region of the world. We are now globally facing a very challenging time. What, what advice would you give, given all of the experience you've had of studying leadership from a child all the way through to today, being a you know, self-declared student of leadership? What do you think leaders need to think about now as they are preparing to kind of lead in this next phase of the world? 
Yeah, I mean, that's, <clears throat> that's a question in everyone's mind these days, right? So we live in a completely different world now. Um, more uncertainties and more questions than answers. Things are unpredictable. Yeah. In whatever sense you, 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 you feel, um, whether that's in terms of business and economy, social life, um, and people's job and everything. So I think in, in all of that, um, when, you, when you think, uh, what is a leader's job? I don't think it is too different than like any, like any regular responsibility that a leader has, is to, um, to have the alertness, the agility, to be able to scan the environment regularly mm -hmm. and to adapt with with it as as things change because that's what that's what they, they this is the environment we live we live uh, in mm -hmm. so that agility uh, and adaptability and um and so let me also borrow your the terminology that you teach is growth mindset mm. right so the growth mindset and, and having being able to 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 have your your antenna up all the time right. to get the signals and yeah. then uh, reflect on it and learn from it and adapt to it quickly because that's 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 how we should live it and of course as we as we i personally believe that everyone is a leader and everyone is also a follower yeah. so that is our life now in professional life as leaders we are responsible for others as well to also make sure that they overcome these issues and we how we think about productivity and effectiveness and so on um, the other thing I, I would say is that in these kind of environments, um, we know that there is more, the probability of failure is higher. Right. So leader's job, I believe, is also to make sure that their team um, is ready, themselves and their teams are ready to, to accept failures, to understand failures and learn from them. Yeah. So um, I'm not sure what is the terminology for it, but, but an ability to, to be okay if things didn't go well, but not to just forget it, but to learn from it, to mm -hmm. reflect on it mm -hmm. and consider it as a, as a learning experience rather than a failure. So I, I, I think that is also uh, a responsibility of, um, of a leader in, in these um, circumstances. And I believe that the, the years to come Will be the will continue to be more more uncertain and and um, ambiguous than than the past years we had. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, three things I took away was the ability to sense what's happening in the environment. There'll be no certainty, but to constantly be able to get clarity on what's happening around you, maybe a little bit of prediction, uh, with this recognition that you might be wrong. And then being flexible and adaptable to pivot and move to the things you're sensing, but also being flexible and adaptable to move when the things that you thought might happen don't happen. Exactly. Uh, being prepared for that, which relates to failure, is that when you are uh, working with uncertainty, of course there'll be mistakes and failures because you were guessing in some sense, intelligently, but guessing and being okay with that, but taking the time to learn and maybe so it's four things, taking the time to learn and reflect on those things and not just putting them aside and removing the emotional pain of the failure. Delve in it, live in it, learn from it. I think that's excellent advice to what, excellent advice for leaders today uh, because the future will definitely be more uncertain than the past for sure. Um, I wanna leave our conversation at this. I wanna have a big question to, to ask you about 
what you're doing now. You started out as a young man with an intent to help people in your country through medicine. You realized that you would have a greater impact if you shifted to public health. The circumstances of life brought you here to Canada. You are now working for an organization, Agkan Foundation, that actually is serving the needs of the people of your home country. That's quite a journey. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, where do you feel on that journey you are from impacting large numbers of people? Are you, how do you evaluate the number of people that you are impacting in Afghanistan in your role today? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Shaquille. Um, <clears throat> I, well, I mean, obviously, um, <clears throat> the, the role that I have is, is, is basically global public health. So, and the work we do is, uh, is global in, in Asia and Africa. So I would say for me, the principles that I believed back then are still the same. Uh, and that's another thing that, that a leader should have. So you have to stay true to your, to your, to your values and, and principles. Mm -hmm. Circumstances change, but your values and, and principles stay. So as I said earlier, my, I, I believe that I want to do good to people. Back then, my worldview was smaller, yeah. Afghanistan, because that's where I grew up. That's where I, uh, I, I um, uh, was committed to and still am committed to. Yeah. But um, as I moved to Canada, and I, my worldview has changed. Um, I started traveling. Of course, even when I was based in Afghanistan, I used to travel. But as an Afghan, as a representative of Afghanistan, yeah. how I travel as a representative of international organization being based in Canada in a more developed country. Yeah. So I also learned about other, other realities in the world. And I also realized that there are countries population, circumstances that are even worse than, than what I experienced and what Afghans experience. It is, it is a reality. So my principle of serving people is still the same, but it is broader. In addition to serving Afghans, it's all, it is serving human, humanity, human being, wow. men and women, boys and girls. Um, of course, um, my scope of work is, is, is limited to my ability and to my organization's ability, but um, in, in, in Total, we serve about three, 3.5 million population every day, every month, every year. Yeah. So um, um, back to your question, my, uh, my um, feeling is that um, I'm still serving Afghanistan uh, through my work um, uh, and Afghan people. But in addition to that, I'm also serving others who are in similar situation or in better or worse, uh, worse situation. And that is uh, something that really fulfills my, um, my professional uh, uh, um, um, emotions and feelings, as well as my personal ambitions and feelings. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So I, I might be testing your uh, knowledge, but maybe not. Um, how many countries do you now um, manage programming for around the world? Well, actively in um, um, 11 countries, um, uh, well, we have active, active programs and activities, but the mandate is broad. It is, uh, we, we work in 20, 23 countries. So yeah. that is the, the mandate. Uh, uh, so from, a, from your community in Afghanistan, 
to now being responsible, of course, with a team, responsible for work in 23 countries. That's quite a remarkable journey. Any sense of the order of magnitude of the number of, of people that are being impacted by that work? Well, um, at least 3 million people are being impacted by the work we do. Uh, and I'm, I'm grateful uh, that I have a tiny, tiny role in that. Uh, of course, it is a larger organization and network uh, that, that, that works uh, to, to deliver those services. And I'm, as I said, I'm very grateful uh, that I'm a, I play a small role in that. You know, Fawad, I, I have this analogy, which may, I may have shared with you, and we talked about it earlier, about we are all uh, pebbles that can create ripples in water, right? Absolutely. It's very easy to create ripples when the waters are calm. But the waters are volatile and there's lots of waves. It's very hard to create a ripple. We're living in a world today where the waters are rocky and rough all the time. But Fawad, from what I've heard today, I've seen an example of a person that is finding a way to create ripples, even when the waters are rough. And I'm just grateful to you for sharing your story with me. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Shaquille, for the opportunity. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you. So here's what I took away from that conversation with Fawad. First of all, he has an intentional practice of reflection. He looks back on the day's events and identifies the mistakes and failures that he can learn from for the next time. He talked about leadership as being an ongoing practice of learning. Leadership not being a destination, but a pursuit. He didn't describe it that way, but that's what I picked up from the way he conducts himself. He also framed leadership as a service to others, not just your immediate team, but also to society at large. And then Fawad talked about the capabilities we need for the future. The ability to sense what's happening in the environment, to adjust the way you conduct yourself and the actions you take based on that, to anticipate outcomes, to predict outcomes, but expect those outcomes to be wrong and be prepared to adjust and learn again. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did and have a great day. Thank you for tuning in. If you liked this episode, please do rate or leave a review. It'll help others like you find this show. See you next time.